Hello and welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host Phil, and I wonder what Joel and Ethan Cohen would think of today's film. Oh, yeah, I wonder too. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Andrew, and I'm your other co-host. And I have encountered several films recently that have an anachronistic details in them, <laughs> things that uh, seem like people shouldn't be using, or right uh, things th- things in the modern age that you know, things that take place in the modern age, but seem to be using technology from my childhood. Yeah, this is one of those movies. Well, I'm look looking forward to talking to you about those anachronisms and and perhaps metaphors and. Other yeah. types of storytelling devices. We're going to talk to you today about Kumiko the Treasure Hunter, mm. which is a new independent film from the Zellner brothers, who I had never heard of prior to this film. Neither had I. Um, but um, they are collaborators, much in the same vein as the Coen brothers were. Although um, David handles the directing, and then his brother um, is the screenwriter, I think, along with David. Mm-hmm. Um, and then David is actually in this film. He is. Before we get to the actual meaty discussion, though, I'd like to tell you about where you can find us on the web. If you go to our blog at www.in-the-q, and that's the letter q.com, you'll find all of our shows. You'll be able to leave comments, suggestions, and um, requests for movies you'd like us to review, and we will gladly honor those requests. We, you know, we file them all, and we're just going through them one by one, week by week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, on our Facebook page, just do a search for – to find our Facebook page, do a search for uh, In the Queue. That's Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. There you will find our shows once again. Uh, it's another great forum for, to leave comments and requests. And then also we post videos and other things to sort of supplement the discussion for that particular week. For example, with our last show that we did, it was a listener's request about the film Glory. I posted a YouTube video of Denzel Washington accepting his Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Glory. Indeed. And uh, it's a nice little relic, I guess. Perhaps like some of the relics that we're going to be talking about in this film. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps. Perhaps indeed. And then lastly, you can find us on iTunes just... Go to iTunes and search for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil, and it's bound to pop right up. And there you can subscribe to our podcast, and then all of our shows are on there, dating back to the very beginning. And then all the new ones come out week by week, and they're, they're going to be there for you very promptly, so you can keep abreast about what we're doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. So today's film is, as I said, Kumiko, the Treasure Hunter, and... Uh, the uh, sort of the the plot or the story of this movie is, yes. is concerns a uh, a twenty something very lonely Japanese woman in Tokyo, socially inept, socially inept, mentally inept. I think yes, I think perhaps so. yeah, I think it's it's hinted at inept in most ways, mm-hmm. and uh, she leads kind of a drab life and. Um, in some way, she uh, recovers an old videotape in a cave by the beach at the beginning of the film. And she uh, pops it into her trusty uh, VHS player. Yeah. And, and it's uh, a very kind of weathered, as you might imagine, and almost unwatchable copy of the film Fargo. 
directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, uh, another brother filmmaking duo, perhaps Indeed. perhaps an inspiration to the Zellner people, the uh, Zellner brothers. I mean, maybe this is some kind of an homage in some level. Perhaps. Perhaps. Um, and so anyway, so she, she watches the, the film, or she watches some of it, and then she decides that the the treasure that Steve Buscemi is seen burying in the snow in the film Fargo is, is waiting for her in Minnesota. Yes. And she's going to travel to Minnesota and she's going to find it. Mm-hmm. And she, she creates a very sort of crude map and um, she has funds to do this. I'm guessing she has funds to get a plane ticket and lodging. Well, she has a job. She has a day job, so presumably she would be able to save up some money. Right. She lives in sort of squalor, so I wouldn't imagine that she is exactly blowing all that money on rent or, right. you know, amenities. Right. So she she travels there, and then the film consists uh, mainly of her journey, uh, her journey to find the treasure. Um and the misadventures along the way. Many misadventures, many people she meets along the way. This movie was actually executive produced by Alexander Payne, which yeah. doesn't come as a too big a surprise because it did remind me of another film I didn't like called Nebraska, uh, <laughs> which we reviewed a year ago. Um, and that this is another type of heart of the U.S. Midwestern style journey. And uh, this, the title of the film, I think, is a is a fitting way to describe it. This is this is not you know Kamiko to find the money or to find you know or the, the the anything to do with Fargo. They give it a very kind of large, almost mythic, primal significance. She's the treasure hunter. She's off mm. to find her treasure. Um, yeah. And much of the film shows her traveling on foot as well which also emphasizes how it's a very physical journey for her. It's very arduous and it's very, it's like a pilgrimage of some sort. Um, yes. And Werner Herzog actually called the movie a very deep, beautiful and touching film. And that actually makes sense to me knowing what I know about Werner Herzog because he's a big fan of walking, especially uh, long walks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, in uh, 1982, he walked from Munich to Paris to visit a dying friend, and he uh, he he was convinced that by taking this almost foolhardy journey, she would be well by the time he got there. And I think what this movie is sort of conveying on some level is that yes, this is a really foolish journey, and you might think of Kumiko as some kind of an imbecile for doing this. Um, and of course she's not going to find the buried treasure. She's not going to find the money. How could she? She couldn't possibly. Um, but the thing is what she, what she will find is what she was meant to find. And she will get something out of this, you know, this crazy journey. Um, and, and, and therefore it won't truly be such a foolhardy errand. Um, what are your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, uh, well, I guess I buy that. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's all I ask. I I understand what you're saying, and I think that that's an interesting sort of take on it. I 
I don't know quite what to make of this movie. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it is sort of in line with movies that I have enjoyed. As you, you I mean, the, many of the influences that you just mentioned, films by people like Werner Herzog or Alexander Payne or the Coen brothers. These are all people that I love their work almost without exception. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like this movie was uh, trying to imitate a lot of those without ever quite reaching the level of insight or the level of uh, pathos or the level of humanity mm-hmm. that those films do. Yeah, well, I, I totally understand, especially when you're comparing it to, to Fargo because um, Far- well, yeah. Fargo was so much more engaging and and there were actually characters you could identify with. And it- Yeah, well, yeah, it's good that you bring that up because, I mean, one of the big problems that I had with this film is watching it, I, I watched Kumiko herself played by Rinko Kikuchi, who I love as an actress. Mm-hmm. I thought that she was she was nominated for an Academy Award for her performance in Babel. Yeah. And I thought she should have won it that year. Her performance is so good in that film. And uh, and she's the best part about The Brothers Bloom. She's the best part about Pacific Rim, which is otherwise a pretty miserable movie. She's a really excellent and very engaging actress. And I, I think it takes a lot of work to make her kind of dull and uninteresting and i think that that's exactly what happened in this film because i had no understanding of this character no or why they were doing what they were doing the 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 best films of this variety i mean you mentioned werner herzog and werner herzog has a an almost uh tunnel vision focus on people who are are driven to extremes people who are who take on foolhardy Right, adventures like Fitz, in or- Fitzcarraldo, for example, like Fitzcarraldo or or Nosferatu or Wojciech or you know like any of these films where it's like it's like about a singular person who is got a very singular focus, uh, even something like Rescue Dawn, right? Yeah, and uh, and and that's essentially what this film is. It's about a singular person with a singular focus. But in all those films, I completely understood what was happening with that person or in the case of something like Wojciech, for instance, just the fact that he he's going mad mm-hmm. is, is, is sort of part of the, the, the plot, right? Yeah. Um, in this film, I just never understood. I, I, I could not get past the fact that this person watched Fargo. And of course, one of the famous sort of, uh, conceits of Fargo is that it opens with a disclaimer that this is based on a true story. Yes. Which the Coen brothers, after the fact, acknowledged was not true. Mm-hmm. It was not based on a true story. It was, they put that up there because it could be based on a true story and it had the ring of something that could be based right. on a it true was, story. It would draw people into the story quickly. Yeah. yeah, and it was a bit of misdirection in order to pull people into the film. And uh, and, and the idea that somebody would watch that film, even even the idea that she found this videotape in a, a cave uh, that she had a treasure map to, yeah, which which deserves its own maybe set of explanations. The fact that she would watch it and then say, "Yes, this clearly happened," and I am going to go find this, you know, this this big bag of money. Uh-huh. Never mind the fact that, you know. 
I mean, has this person never seen snow? Does she not know that it melts in the summer? Does she no, not it's, like? It's totally. I mean, it's impossible in every respect. And it's this is this. I I definitely had a problem too with with the with the fact that it was. This film almost begs to be treated as a metaphor because you cannot really take her seriously. You cannot take the, her actions yeah. as like something a normal person would do. But even as a metaphor, it's. It has no value. I mean, what am I? What am I supposed what, to learn? What is the metaphor? Yeah, no, it's like it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, this would make a good video game for like the old Atari system in the early '80s. You know, <laughs> like ET, where you, the characters kind of like wander around from screen to screen trying to get things. Right, um, right. That's kind of how I, that feels like the level of emotional depth for me in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, I, I don't say this often about films cause I rarely find it to be the case, but I was flat out bored. Wow. That's really saying something. I, I like, you know, I didn't fall asleep, but I, like, I, I just was, I was looking, I was looking at the walls and I was like, <laughs> you know, scratching my leg. Like I, you know, things that I normally aren't, don't enter into my movie going experience. I just was, I, I really, after watching the trailer and knowing who was in it and you know, all of that, I was very excited about this film Mm -hmm. and I thought it was an interesting, uh, conceit for the film, knowing the kind of idea that this woman had watched Fargo and decided that it was a treasure. I thought it was going to be like whimsical almost in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think that it wants to be whimsical and uh, and I and certainly there's a there's a point at which David Zellner himself, the director, mm-hmm. inter, enters the film as an actor as a policeman, and he sort of becomes the comic relief almost, and almost and sort of the straight man to Kumiko's kind of wackadoo yeah. mindset. But after, I, like, what purpose does his character serve? Well, his character to me. Is, is like a, a way that the, the film is kind of reaching out to the audience in a way that it hadn't done up to that point. Um, because yeah. he is the one who is questioning her motives, which I don't think happens until that point. Well, she doesn't talk to anybody right. until that point. Right. But the, I mean, no, there nobody can question her motives because she doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have any confidants. Mm-hmm. She doesn't... Uh, you know, her. she has a terrible relationship with her mother. She has a terrible relationship with her creepy, weird boss. You know, like, mm-hmm. her, her co-workers don't really like her. Yeah. Um, there was a very funny moment of comic relief early in the film when she sees, like, an old friend sees her walking down the street and wants to get her phone number so they can reconnect and hang out. Uh, <laughs> and she kind of, like, pokes her in the stomach. She goes, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and pokes her in the stomach and gets no response and then does it again and gets no response. Uh, I mean, there, there's some uh, uh, there. I won't say that there aren't some funny moments in this film and some interesting stuff, but uh, it, it seems like a, 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 a an interesting idea that just wasn't executed mm-hmm. very well. Did you know, Andrew, that this is actually based on an actual events? Is it? It is. It's it's based on what they have described as an urban legend um, wow. about a, a woman named Takako Konishi who had 
is reported in the media in 2001 that she had died trying to find the treasure depicted in the film Fargo. Now that's pretty on the nose, but yeah. what, what she actually was doing was she committed suicide. Right. And probably told people that that was the story or something. I mean, like, yeah, there's not a lot of, of, um, elaboration on the internet about it that I could find, but, um, yeah, that's, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But what I would say probably if that's the case, like if if that's the urban legend and you heard the urban legend and you decided let's make a movie about this urban legend, what you need to do as a filmmaker or as a storyteller is to find the the core of that story, the heart of that story, the reason, the you know, something that, that we can latch on to mm-hmm. as audience members, aside from just the fact, like, I, I th- this film to me seems like it never gets past the point of the idea. It's just person decides Fargo is real, yeah. tries to go find treasure. And then that just sort of repeats throughout the film. I mean, she's got a, she's got a pet rabbit at the beginning of the film called Bunzo, mm-hmm. right? And Bunzo is adorable, and loves eating noodles <laughs> and uh and it's like she seems to have a proximity to this rabbit but she doesn't seem to care about it i mean like she cares about it insofar as she takes care of it mm-hmm. but i didn't ever feel any kind of emotional connection to the rabbit and then the rabbit makes an appearance towards the end of the film that is you know if you're watching it is technically impossible for it to have literally happened. impossible literally impossible for it to have have happened but the end of the film is a very you know not real sequence Mm -hmm. um but so so she's reunited with bunzo and i'm just like okay great (laughs) they're back to get i guess they can eat noodles together again yeah yeah I, i like i felt like there was no heart to this film i felt like there was no there was no reason for me to care about Rinko Kikuchi's character, Kumiko. You know, I, I just felt... I, I actually, <sighs> I, I intensely disliked her while I was watching the film. I actually <laughs> thought she was an idiot. Um, I just... Yeah, that's... Yeah. I, I really could not see any reason to, to get behind her quest because it just seemed... And I was... I mean, there's a little bit of suspense when she's actually uh, at risk of dying, when she's out in the frozen... Yeah. You know, wasteland in Minnesota. And I'm thinking, well, how are they going to wrap this up? And that's not a good place to be in if, I mean, for a movie, when if somebody watching your movie is thinking, like, okay, how is this going to resolve? You know, you right. want, you don't want them to be that far outside the story. You want them to be kind of caught up. And, but I was thinking, okay, well, I've spent an hour and a half here. How is, what's the payoff going to be? And, um, and then what does happen, I guess, isn't terribly unpredictable because there's really only two outcomes that can happen. She either finds the treasure yeah. or she doesn't. And, uh, and then the outcome happens. And I was kind of like actually a little bit angry. I'm like, well, hold on a second. You can't justify what just happened by ending the movie <laughs> right there. Yeah. You, know, you can't just have her grab buns, bunzo and, and turn around and walk back to Tokyo. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, but I agree. It's like, okay, I think this movie was supposed to be a metaphor but as Werner Herzog himself said, a metaphor for what I do not know. 
Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't say it better than the master himself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I didn't like this. Film. No, I didn't like it either. Um, I really did not like it. Uh, it's just, and it's not like the visuals alone could carry the film because the visuals alone yeah. aren't that impressive. They're they're very detached and in a way they're kind of stylized. Um, and there's well, I'd almost say that 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 applies to the entire film. Like the writing is detached, uh-huh. the acting is detached. I mean, I I love Rinko Kikuchi, but in this film, I I you know as we said, I mean, she kind of created a character that I I didn't care about and it seems like her main method of of emoting would be there would be these scenes where she's talking to somebody and somebody would say some kind of a deadpan line and then it would cut to rinko kikuchi and then her eyes would just kind of like look around up down to the side yeah and that was that was her deadpan reaction and i don't know if if it was kind of like a unanimous decision to make her like a nearly mute expressionless person but rule one for me anyway and maybe i'm being too pragmatic here but rule one of the film is like you've got to have a character that you can empathize with or understand in some way you know yeah and i mean i may not empathize with jake lamotta in raging bull but if i watch the film i can still see what drives him yeah and and the the film itself concerns itself with what drives him. I mean, that's what Raging Bull is about. It's about that sort of like unending inner drive that he has and the inability to shake that, shake those sort of like voices in his head, right? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, even something more recent, like like Whiplash that we just reviewed, mm-hmm. like those are not particularly likable characters. I mean, Miles Teller's character, Andrew, is not likable in that film. He's not a likable person at all, <laughs> and neither is is J.K. Simmons Fletcher oh, no. in that film. They're they're two massively unlikable characters, but we are riveted to the screen the entire time because we are like the film itself is deeply concerned with what motivates them, why they're doing what they're doing, how they're doing what they're doing, and we're wrapped up in the the drama of that, the emotion of that. I think that the script for Kamiko the treasure hunter is probably like a, a screenwriting teacher's worst nightmare because <laughs> they, they have to break it down. Okay. What does Kamiko want? What is, what is her quest? Why is she trying to get it? What will happen if she doesn't get it? What motivates her along the way? What motivates the people who talk to her? I mean, it's all paper thin. It's, it's, it's as yeah. thin as ice. And <laughs> it's, uh, I didn't, I didn't really have that, that high hopes going into the film. But I was just kind of bummed out by it, to be honest. And it doesn't really have a fantastic rating on IMDb, and it's steadily getting lesser and lesser uh, as time goes on. But um, I feel like festival circuit people would probably love the heck out of this movie. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's right, because critics are saying, oh, it's the best movie ever to premiere at Sundance. Like, wow. Yeah. Wow, man. That's quite a a statement. That's an insane statement. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but I was looking online at different reviews, and it's got a very, very high score when it comes to, you know, the – well, the, okay, the meta score isn't outstanding. It's, it's 67 out of 100. But if you do a search online, you don't find too many negative reviews of this movie because so, too many people are on the, the hip train to praise yeah. this, you know, this, this, you know, quirky, unique film. 
But the guy who writes for The Guardian, I think his name is um, Peter Bradshaw, mm-hmm. uh, he writes a very, very short, like, one-paragraph review and just totally <laughs> trashes the movie. Yeah. And uh, he just says, like... Um, the metaphorical value of this tiresome shaggy dog quest turns out to be precisely zero. Why not just rent a copy of Fargo instead? Mm. Yeah. But, well, I couldn't agree with that statement more. We already <laughs> we already know how much I love Fargo. Absolutely, yeah. And and um, but this is a shaggy dog story, you know? It's a classic yeah. the classic tale that, that takes forever and ends up going nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 uh it's confusing and and uh, and and frustrating to me that uh, that it's getting as much praise as it is, um, because I, I'm I'm just not I don't quite understand where that's coming from. Then again, you know, a of our films get great praise, and I don't like those either. <laughs> well, so it's like you're comparing apples and peaches. well, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, this is this is no Almodovar. Like I can I can recognize the value, the high value of Almodovar, even if I don't uh, enjoy his films. Right. So, in summary, I was not a fan of Kamiko the Treasure Hunter. Yeah. And I think Andrew is feeling similarly. I am. I am. And I really wish that it wasn't the case because, as I said, I, I was hoping this would be really great. But uh, I was disappointed. I guess we'll just have to keep hunting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, stay tuned for our next episode. It's going to be another listener's choice. We're going to have Jimmy from Australia yes. in the discussion with us. Yes, we've gone international. I'm excited. Intercontinental. Intercontinental. And we're going to be talking about the film Pitch Perfect, yeah. which I haven't seen. Very popular. The sequel is about to come out. And Is it an Australian film? Uh, I don't believe so. No. I, it could be, for all I know. I mean, I know that Rebel Wilson is in it, and she's Australian, right? I think it is, actually. But uh, Jimmy yeah. Jimmy was very excited about suggesting it to us because it was a real box office smash. It, Indeed. It was made on with like a $13 million budget, and it grossed like $117 million. Yeah. So yeah. that's what every filmmaker wants. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah. So we will uh, see you guys there. And uh, in the meantime, have a good one.